0: grace and peace to you from God, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear fellow Christians, do you remember this? This is the easy button, right? It was a, a marketing campaign by the office supply store, Staples. And I gotta say, it was brilliant. I don't know if it was brilliant because it, it boosted their sales or it upped their revenue, but it was brilliant because of people because we all want that we want an easy button don't we we want life to be well to be easy life isn't and so when life gets difficult when it's messy when it hurts we wish that there was that easy button just hit it life is good take away all pain take away all problems take away all hurts just make Just make it real smooth, real nice, real easy. But maybe you've noticed that's not the way life actually is, right? I hope you've noticed. I hope you've caught on that that's not the reality. Instead, the reality is life is messy. Life hurts. And it's our our first takeaway this morning that life is hard because my life is imperfect. my life your life the life of the person sitting next to you and behind you the life of your neighbor down the street that has every cool toy and every new gadget and every nice outfit the life of your coworker that just is always going on trips and just seems to have it all together even the life of your friend on social media that man it just looks perfect their life looks perfect it's not. Every single person, life is hard because it's imperfect. And that word imperfect, it's important for us to kind of understand that because we're talking about, we're talking really about God's standard, not just about what we see in our own worlds, right? We see our own imperfections, but we're talking about what God sees, And so when God looks at us, he doesn't just see like one or two little oops here or there. What God sees is a fatal flaw. He sees a heart that at its most personal level has been corrupted. And that's a real problem because then everything that flows out of it, everything that we say, everything that we do, everything even that we think is corrupted. And that makes it imperfect, never able to measure up to exactly what God wants it to be. And and we see that, don't we? We see that in the way that we we talk and we get, we say that and we go, why did I say that? And we do something, we go, oh, that was dumb. I really wish I could take that back. It's because at our, even even our best intentions, even when we think we said the right thing, we, we second guess ourselves and we aren't sure because at our most basic level within our heart's we're imperfect. We're corrupted. And, and that's a problem. Last week, if you were here for a message or you caught it online, you heard us talking all about motivation, right? All about what's, what's your why? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you do the things you do? And, and we want it to be because it's out of love for God who loves me, but, but because our hearts are corrupted, well, we know that that's not the reality, is it? Right? Our our motivation often is instead not, not out of love for God, out of, out of generosity and love and care and concern for other people. Instead, it's, it's out of love and care for me. It's selfishness or it's guilt or it's fear or it's pride. And where that really becomes an issue, not just in our own lives, but, but even in our minds, in our hearts, and for our faith is when we know that our motives can be corrupted because our hearts are corrupted. I know that that's the case for me. I know that that's the case for you. I know that that's the case for, for every other human being out there. And it makes me wonder sometimes if that's the case even for God. And so it makes me wonder if when I'm going through difficult times and I want to ask God, Why? ever feel like that when you're struggling when you're hurting when you're when you're facing suffering when you're facing pain you want to know why god why me why are you allowing this to happen what's your motivation because we can be tempted to think well i know my motivation can get off base maybe the same is true for even god that isn't the case, and God wants us to know that. God wants us to know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that that, that isn't true. And so he, he wants us to understand that all of the suffering, all the difficulty, all the, the trials, the grief that we face in life, that he actually has a good purpose for it. it might not always be readily evident, and might, we might struggle to see it sometimes, but God God promises he's going to use it for good. Even when, we, even when we ask, even when we demand why, God promises he's got a good purpose. He, we struggle, though, to grasp it, don't we? I mean, we're his children. He says he loves us. Why would he allow us to go through pain, to face things that cause us grief and, and suffering, Why? So before we get to why this morning, before we get to God's good purpose in allowing us to face difficulty, let's talk first about why not. Because it's really important that we understand clearly what isn't God's motivation. And it's important that we understand it clearly because we're tempted to think that it is. And there's a reason we're tempted that way because, well, the devil's a master tempter. Maybe you're aware. But he's also a master accuser. And so when you're going through something in life that isn't like the direct result of, of, of sinful action, right? Um, it, it's not that you said something stupid and now I'm paying the price. It's, where, I, why am I dealing with this? This hurts. Where did this come from? Why this suffering? What does the devil want you to think? Well, the devil wants you to think it's because of that. You know that. That sin. That indiscretion. That temptation that you gave into. That you've been trying to put in your rearview mirror for for weeks, for months, for maybe even decades. and, And it just never completely feels like it goes away out of your heart and your mind that there's always that that temptation that you know is wrong and you don't really have a desire to go through with it but eh, it's a little bit interesting so you just kind of keep it around you don't like totally get it out of your life and stay away from it but you allow it to linger and you know it you know it in your heart nobody else knows it but but the devil wants you to think that when God allows you to face suffering well, it's because of that. That God knows, and so he's giving you just a little taste of what you deserve. You should face way more than this, but, but I'm going to give you a little something. I'm going to give you a little, a little karma, right? That's what, the way the world thinks. We're going to get, you get what you deserve. Well, you deserve this. Nothing, though, could really be further from the truth. All of that is a lie, and God wants us to know absolutely confidently that that is not the case. And so we find the answer, we find the truth in the opening verses of our Bible text this morning from Romans chapter 5. Look what God has to say. "'Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.'" through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There's a lot packed into those two verses. There's a couple of things I want to to unpack, to, to focus on for a moment. First of all, Paul says we've been justified by faith. Now, that term justified is one that we don't use much in our world today, but it's an important one to really understand well. It's a courtroom term, right? If you, are the, the, if you kill someone but it was in self-defense, the technical court term for that is not self-defense. It's justifiable homicide. That you did kill them, but that you're not guilty of it because it, was, it didn't legally break the definition of murder. When God says we're justified, what he's saying is that he has declared you to be not guilty in his court. Think about that for a minute. We already talked about how we are imperfect, and God demands, commands perfection. How can he say we're not guilty? Because let's be honest, we, we know we are. Well, the reason God can say you're not guilty is not because he ignores, not because he pretends, not because he turns a blind eye to our sins, not because he sweeps them under a rug, not because it's not such a big deal, because all of them are imperfections, are breaking the law. It's God can declare you and me not guilty because of Jesus. He looks at you and me and instead of us taking the punishment that we deserve facing the consequences for our imperfections for our sins what God did is he sent his own son Think about that for a moment he he sent his own son literally to a world full of death row inmates to take their penalty to take the punishment that, that they, that we, deserve. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Because on the cross, he didn't just suffer the, the mocking and the, the nails and the crown of thorns and the, the blood loss and all the other physical torment. No, he suffered the punishment for sin, for all sin, for our sin. And and because of that, because Jesus took our punishment, God looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you're not guilty. Now, begrudgingly, you're not guilty. I wish I could take it out on you, but I can't. Nope. He says, you're not guilty. Because the price has already been paid. The punishment has already been paid in full. And that's a hugely important concept. It's our second takeaway this morning. That because Jesus took the punishment I deserve... I have peace with God. See that means that God isn't looking to give you and me a taste of what we deserve. So that when we face difficulty and hardship, God isn't going, "Ha, here's a little of what you what you can look forward to. Here's a little bit of what you should be getting." When I face hardship, when I face pain, it's not because God's been just waiting just waiting like some evil genius in heaven, waiting for the the most difficult time to unleash suffering into my life where it's really going to hurt. That's not at all the case because what I deserve is already done. What I should have received is already taken by Jesus himself, and now I have peace with God. Jesus has already paid for my punishment and so now we are at peace with God. So we don't have to worry that God is going to to punish us because Jesus already took the punishment. That's that's an important concept and it's one that God says is so important that if you noticed in in verse 2, he says, as a result, we boast about it, right? We boast in the glory of God. Literally, the, the original Greek word there is, is to be so happy about something that you just cannot stop talking about it. You know what that's like? You ever meet that person? You ever work with them? Let me give you an example of what it would be like. Imagine that that ding that you just heard is actually your phone. And it's your phone notifying you that some random drawing you entered like eight months ago that you didn't even remember, and you actually just won the grand prize. And the grand prize is two weeks, all-inclusive, private island in the Caribbean. Private chef, private beach, all the amenities. Who here is not going, ooh? Or are you the, oh, well, now I'm going to have to stop my mail. Oh. All these things I'm going to have to do, I don't know. It just might not be worth it. No, you would be like, woohoo! Hey, uh, Pastor, can we th- say a prayer of thanks today? Because, yes, I need this break. I need this vacation. It's going to be awesome. I'm pretty sure you would be so pumped. You would be so excited. You would be annoying your friends and your family and the people around you to death. Because you wouldn't be able to talk about anything else all the way up until you left and even after you got back. You would be so excited. I'm going, oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. I wonder what the beaches are going to be like. I've seen pictures. You'd be boasting about it, right? Because you'd be so happy. You'd be excited. That's what God wants us to do, but not about a vacation to the Caribbean or not about the the new thing we got or the new, new place we're going God wants us to to be that excited to boast, he says, in the glory of God. To boast about the all-inclusive vacation that God has for you with him for eternity. To boast to be so happy that you can't stop talking about how much God loves you. And what that means is that you are forgiven, that God isn't angry at you or trying to punish you. It doesn't mean everything is easy, but man, I know that God, God loves me. I know that Jesus paid for all of it. I know that I'm at peace with God and I know that I'm going to heaven. And while, you know, in theory, I'd like to spend a little more time here, I'm, man, I'm looking forward to that to the perfect glory with God, the perfect harmony with other people. No more conflict, no more strife, no more aches, no more pains. How amazing that is and, and, and keeping our, our focus on that. See, that's, what God, that's why God wants us to keep our perspective, our, our focus on, right? We heard that in our reading from Corinthians too. So we focus on not what is seen, not on the temporary, but what, on is, what is eternal, on heaven. And it's important that we do that because, I'm just going to burst your bubble, life isn't easy. It's difficult, it's hard, it's painful, but there's a reason for it. And that's our third takeaway this morning, that God doesn't just want me to go through grief, God wants me to grow through grief. See, because you and I know for absolute certain that God isn't giving us a taste of our medicine. He's not trying to punish us. He's not trying to hurt us. He wants us to to grow, to grow as as Christians, to grow literally in our faith and our trust in him. So how does that go? How does that work? Well, the the Bible tells us how that goes, right? Verse 3 of our text this morning says this. Not only so, so not only do we boast in the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, it's not super evident in the in the Greek or in the English, but that word glory, besides being a noun used as a verb, which is just weird, it's the exact same word from verse 2 where it says, we boast in the glory of God. He's saying, We also boast. We're, we're pumped up, we're excited about our sufferings. How's that possible? I mean, it sounds like, oh, do- no, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we be happy? Why would we, why would we be excited when we face difficulty and hardship in life? That's not the way we react, is it? Uh, let's be honest, we're probably more like spiritual two-year-olds. We whine. Why, God? why are you letting this happen to me? We moan and groan and complain and we stomp our feet and this isn't fair. Right? And I'm pretty sure that's about as far away from boasting as you can get. From being, from glorying in it, from, from being happy, so happy that you can't stop talking about it. We, we probably can't stop talking about it but it's not because we're happy, it's because we're complaining. God wants us to know the why we can boast in our sufferings. And it's not because of some weird masochistic enjoyment. He wants us to understand he's using the sufferings, the grief that we face to grow us. And we see that because verse 3 doesn't actually end there. He says, Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So there you get the, the word perseverance, right? Now, before we get to perseverance, that word suffering, it literally means pressing down on. It can be the, the big, scary, super pressing down on, like the trash compactor scene in Star Wars, where like, they're going to be squished with all the garbage. Sometimes you feel like that. But sometimes it's just like the daily pressure. You feel that? The, the burden, the pushing down on the weight of responsibilities and obligations and oh, I got to get this done and I, I got I to do it this way and I really should do this and I know what else I need to do and we feel that pressure, that pushing down on us and we probably wouldn't call it suffering but it's the, the pressure that we face, the pushing down on it but then there's the days when we face that, that kind of pushing down on that feels like it's going to just crush us. And we're not going to make it through. And yet here we are. And so whether it's the, the daily, low-grade, pushing down on me, whether it's the, the life-changing, feels-like-life-ending, crushing, pressing down on me, we've survived. We've we've come out the other side. And God uses the difficulties we face so that as we look back, what do we see? Time and time and time and time again while we face difficulty and hardship, we face this low end, the the daily pressures, and also the, the great suffering. God brings me through. God has has brought me through to the other side every single time. And you know what that develops? Perseverance. Not perseverance that I I can do it, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, but perseverance that I know God can. I know God can. I know God can. That when I face this, when I'm struggling with that, when I'm hurting again, God will bring me through again. It's it's an important quality because God uses it to grow us. Because he doesn't stop at perseverance. Instead, he says this perseverance produces character. Now character in, in our society is kind of a nebulous word in English. It's a it's a wishy-washy one, right? We've got characters in movies. We've got letters that are characters on the screen. But character is really the, the qualities, the traits that are baked into you that make you who you are. But that's not really what the Bible is talking about here. The, the original Greek word literally means something that is the result of going through a test. Like it's, it's been tested and it came out the other side. The results of the test are you and me. See, when we go through trial and suffering, that pressing down, and we know God is going to bring me through, you know what that that results in? It results in character. Let me give you an example. Uh, So I know this man named Bill. And about a decade ago, Bill was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 brain cancer. Given six months to live. Two years later, Bill was in complete remission. Another year and a half later, the cancer was back. And the diagnosis was, was tough. I struggled with it. Like when he came and talked to me, I'm like, man, I'm sorry, this is this is hard. And it wasn't even my brain or my life. But his response was character. He said, I don't know if I'll beat it this time, but I know that God can. And so I know that no matter what, either God is going to beat it or God is going to take me home. See, he'd been through tests, and this didn't phase him. I shouldn't say it didn't phase him, it didn't break him. That, that he wasn't, oh, it's all over. Why did I even go through the chemo last time? But he just said, God will do it. I'll do my best, but I'm going to leave it all up to God. And did you notice where the, where the character resulted? Where it, the end result of that character that, that had been through the tests and that didn't, that didn't fall apart, no matter how rough life got, it, it ended with, that's a, the last part of our, our Bible reading this morning. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Being able to cling to God through life's trials it, it gives us hope, and and hope is a huge thing. Right? I, I jokingly said the other night at one of our life groups that hope gets presidents elected. It does. And let's be honest, that's what, ultimately, that not that what politicians sell? I've got hope for the economy. I've got hope for immigration. I've got hope for Social Security. I've got hope. But if you, if you really are trusting in a politician's promise, your hope is probably going to be unrealized. That's not the case, though, with God. The hope that we have in God is not just a, a wish. It's not just wishful thinking or I really want this to happen the hope that we have in God is, is actually the reality that something is yours. You just haven't taken hold of it yet. And so we hope that doesn't put us to shame. And it never leaves us wanting. And it always comes through in the end. Because it, always, it only and all depends on God. On God who loves you so much that he died for you. On God who loves you so much that he called you to be his child. On God that loves you so much he poured out his Holy Spirit into your hearts so that you would know it and you would trust it and you would cling to him to get you through the ups and the downs of life. Because we might wish life had an easy button. I do. But it doesn't. The the harsh reality is life isn't easy. It's messy and it's hard and it hurts and sometimes it hurts really bad. And God wants us to know for sure that when it hurts, that when we go through grief, that when we face difficulty and suffering, that it's not because he's trying to to give us a taste of our medicine. He's not trying to put the screws to us because of, of that, because we messed up. Jesus has already paid for it. He's paid for all of it. The punishment is gone. So when God allows us to go through grief, it's because He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow as Christians so that we don't stay the spiritual two year olds that stomp their feet and whine, but to know that God brought me through it last time, and He's going to do it again and again and again and again, and again, and again, until one day he brings me home. And then I'll get to live in that glory of God that he's promised, that I, that I rejoice in, that I boast about, that I can't stop thinking about and, and looking forward to and, and telling other people about. Because God is good, and he uses grief even for our good to grow us. Amen.